Um, this morning, I've got a sermon, but um, we're going to do a little group activity before we get into that. You know, we're, we're entering into, this is, I mean, if by every standard of measurement, spiritual, worldly, however you look at it, we're in a different season of life uh, in the world. Like, it's like we switched, you know, you had like the medieval ages and, the, you know, you went to industrial age. It's like we're, we're switching into a different age. And I believe for the church, it's, we're getting the spirit of Elijah is coming upon the church to get the church to prepare the way for Jesus to come again. I don't know when that is. But we're making it we're making straight the way of the Lord. And that's part of our, our call as a church, Isaiah 62:10. Build up, build up the highways, remove the stones, go through the or go through the gates, build up the highway, move the stones in front of the people, and lift up a standard of the people. And so that's that in, that is imagery of preparing a way, lifting up a standard, lifting up a banner saying, Jesus is coming. Get ready. Make, and it's trying to make it as plain and simple and remove any stumbling stones and let it be all about Jesus and that he is king and that we are his, we were created to be his children, but for us to get out of rebellion, come back to the father's house through the blood of Jesus and be aligned with Jesus. And so, um, but part of this season is that I think that we need to pray for our leaders more than we ever have before. This is what we've always been called to do. But we need to pray for, for God's kingdom to come in every level of society. And Paul explicitly tells us to pray for those in high positions. All right. So in 1 Timoth Timothy chapter 2, Paul is admonishing Timothy to, to uh, tell his churches and lead his churches in this way. He says, first of all, then I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. And this was under the rule, Roman rule of Caligula and Nero, demonically possessed men. So it doesn't matter who your leaders are. We pray for them. You pray for your bosses. You pray for your local leaders. You pray for state and, and federal national leaders, okay? And then the second thing is, later on in that chapter, he says... Therefore, I want men in every place to pray, lifting up holy hands without wrath or dissension. So that he's saying, don't come to the house of the Lord with wrath and strife and malignancy in your heart. Come with a clean heart before the Lord. Come with a clean heart. Forgive where you need to forgive. Repent where you need to forgive. Uh, repent. Make right. And Jesus said, when you come to the altar, if you have a problem with your brother, you actually leave the altar and you go settle the issue with your, 
with your brother before you start worshiping. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. Whose hopes wavered in the last uh, 12 months? Okay? So it says not to do that here. It says to hold fast to hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stimulate one another on toward love and good deeds. Who's faltered in love and good deeds over the last 12 months? Okay, I won't look up because I know my hand's raised, okay? Um, and then in verse 25, it says, this is all right together, right? Not forsaking our own assembling together as it is in the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day draw near. How do we not lose hope and how do we continue on in love and good deeds is we do this we gather together and we pray and and, you know somebody in my group prayed something and um they prayed help me remember these people are people that you long for their souls like they're people that either are children of god or they're people that god wishes they were his his kids Like, let me look at these people as humans. I hadn't thought about that. So when we gather together and we pray and we seek God's face, we get spurred on. Like, that spurred me on towards love and good deeds, right? That spurred me on to have the mind of Christ. This is what it does. And so our prayer for us this morning is not only that we're spurred on in this moment, but that we will continue to pray and that we will be full of hope. And then I'm going to read also out of Hebrews verse 12. And I, I'll share this real quickly, but we have a friend who about three years ago said that the Lord told him this verse and said that it was coming and that we better be ready. And what he said, because he's just a good friend of ours, he said, if you've got sin, you better deal with it because this is what's about to happen. And we were like, okay, but I feel it right now. I'm like, yep, this is what's happening. So here's what it says in Hebrews 12. It says, um, in verse 26, it says, And his voice shook the earth then, but now he has promised, saying, Yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. This expression, yet once more, denotes the removing of those things which can be shaken as of created things, so that those things that cannot be shaken may remain. So if God is shaking something in you, let him shake it. Let him shake it out. Don't be afraid of what you find when you're shaken. Take it to the cross and get set free. Like, let him shake the things that can be shaken so that what's left is what can't be shaken. Jesus and his truth cannot be shaken. And if, you, if you're shaken, like you've lost hope, or, or maybe you all of a sudden realize, oh my gosh, I have been trusting in man, or I thought I was a good person, you know, <laughs> and it's shaken, and you're like, oh gosh, I'm not, a, I'm not as good as I thought I was, or I have this sin in me that I didn't know was there. Don't ignore it and, and try to get away from it, let it shake and get it to the cross. 
And that's what gathering together in these small groups, spurring one another on towards loving good, de- good deeds, it's giving us courage to let it shake. So whatever's being shaken, let it shake because we want to get rid of sin and be left with the unshakable kingdom of God. Bow your heads. <laughs> yeah, I know. Um, I'll just, you know, be a professional cheerleader from now on if, if you need me to be. As Jessica was talking about that, you know, the shaking, it says, that I shook the heavens, but now once more I'm going to shake the heavens and the earth. Or he said, shook the earth, now I'm going to shake the heavens and the earth. And so you, just real quick, I feel like I want to, the Lord wants me to explain this. Paul talks about there being three heavens. All right? The first heaven is what we're, we're experiencing, we see right now. I, I can see it's what's happening in the earth. You have the third heaven, which is what we think of as heaven, like God's throne, the realm, the kingdom of God coming to earth. And then you have the second heaven, which is the spirit realm where angels and demons are. All right? And so what's happened when God shakes the heavens and the earth, what does that mean? Is he shaking clouds and stars? Well, in Revelation, yeah, there will be stars falling, but he's shaking the spirit realm. And so you've had principalities and powers. Devil likes to try to hide. He'd rather hide and manipulate than expose himself, right? So when God shakes the heavens, what happens is you start seeing more demonic manifestations in the earth because they get shaked, sifted down to the earth. So what, when you see a lot of, so it's another way to thank the Lord when you actually uh, see shakings going on, not the, the horrible things that are happening, obviously, but God, you are revealing, you are exposing, you are shaking things that are temporal so that only what is eternal can remain. Everything's burning that's not of God. Okay? And so God is shaking, and we don't have to fear. I was listening to Jonathan Helser's song, I Have Risen, and I probably freaked the kids out in the car because I was teasing with them. I said, hey, this song's intense. It's got this super intense part in it, but I like intense. And they said, Dad, you sound like you had Batman voice when you said that. (laughs) And I I was like, I like intense. You know, and so... (laughs) But we got to it. But that if you've ever heard that song, look it up on Spotify. I have risen, Jonathan Helser. But the end of it, it is super intense. But they, get, they start yelling, he is coming. He is coming like a warrior. He is coming. And I just, I'm in the car. We're driving to get some biscuits at the Golden Pantry. And I had to park the car. And I told the kids, I was like, I said, y'all just stay in the car. And I just started weeping. And I just was like, and even now, I just feel the Lord's heart, but I just, he's coming, and he's coming, and it's with, and it's with fire. And if you're already in the fire of God, it's not going to touch you. So it's like you can, it, it said Jesus, John the Baptist says that Jesus has come to kindle fire 
in the earth. And the Holy Spirit, what does he do? He baptizes you with himself and with fire. So when you're baptized in fire, when fire starts falling on all the temporal things, you will not be touched. You will be like Radshak, Meshach, and Abednego in the fire because Jesus is with you. And you already said, I don't care if I die. And so God is wanting to, to release that kind of fire on the church. And, you know, Revelation 22, 17, it, talks, it says the spirit and the bride say come. And I was just meditating on that verse, and I was thinking the spirit and the bride, the spirit and the bride, they're in unison. They're in unity. They're saying it together. And what are they saying? They're saying Come. And so it means it's coming out of their mouth. And there's coming a time in the church where the church is going to be unified under this rally, under this cry of saying, come, Lord Jesus. And so right now in the nation, we can, we can cry that out now. It's going to be the cry that you're, it's going to come off of your lips because we want Jesus to come into this nation. We want Jesus to come into our families. We're asking, say, Jesus, come quickly. And it says later on after after that scripture, it says, let those who hear say come. Meaning those who are outside, those who are not in the family of God, those who are not the Holy Spirit, they're hearing the the church and the Holy Spirit say come. And they get wrapped up and they, they get caught up in what the church is saying, saying Jesus is coming back. My friend, Fernando Villalobos, when he went through a national revival in Bolivia in the 70s. He said they preached three things. They had five-minute sermons and five-hour ministry times. And so what they did was that he says, Jesus loves you. Jesus died for your sins. And the third thing, Jesus is coming back. And then the Holy Spirit would minister. And they'd start stacking crutches up. Demons would start fleeing. We need the fire. And I believe what God wants us more than anything right now is to spend time at the feet of one whose feet are like burnished bronze. His eyes are like flames of fire. His hair is white like wool. He has a golden sash across his body. His feet are like burnished bronze. He's on fire. He's on fire. And when we behold him, we become like him. And I know that I've I've said in my heart, I was like, God, it's just, you know, I've, years past, I come home from work and I have a little bit of time at the house and, you know, maybe a, I veg out, you know, watching a little TV while I eat lunch. But now I'm just like, that's no, that's no more. That's no more. This is your time. And so I, I, I've just personally, for me, the change in my life is to set aside time for the Lord more than I ever have before. To give it to him. In the ancient ways of God, I'm telling you, listen to me. The ancient ways of God, sometimes they're slow and sometimes they're mundane. But then you wake up one day and you're different. And you're changed. Just like the seed comes up out of the ground and you see it, you're like, nothing's growing. Nothing's growing. Nothing's growing. Then one day, the seed comes up. The seed comes up. 
And so the ways of God are not like this world. It's like, give me right now. Give me, give me, give me. It's slow. You plant, you sow, you harvest, you water, and then you watch God grow something in you. Paul says, be like a soldier. Be like a farmer. Soldiers don't get caught up in everyday matters of life. What did he mean by that? The, th the ways of this world. You didn't get caught up in the ways of the world. You don't get caught up in that stuff. You live from a different world. You're born from heaven. That what it means, that's what it means to be born again. You're born with new DNA. You're born with a new home. You, were, you, may be, you may have been born to poor parents, but you were born again with a rich dad. You have all of heaven at your exposal. He's given you everything you need for life and godliness. You have the blood of Jesus in your veins now. You have been born again. You have been, and Jesus said, you've been born from above. Of the spirit, not of the flesh. And so... One of the, th the things I felt like the Lord said to me is self-preservation is not the way forward. Jesus, we, part of the angst of this past year has been trying to hold on to things that are actually temporal. And, tr and I, listen, I've been right there. I'm, I'm right there with you. It is for freedom that Christ came to set us free. And we want to see that manifest in the natural as much as possible. That for men to have free will and to get to choose and, and lay in the bed that they make, good or bad. But the thing is, we have, if you're not in high position, you don't have, you just have very little control. But there's one who's in the highest position. There's one who's in the highest position. And Psalm 2 says, you know, that the nations, they're raging in vain. They're saying, let us cast their cords and their fetters off of us, saying, let us do away with the laws and the morality of God. Let us, let us uh, define what morality is. Let us call evil good and good evil and all of those types of things. Because they see the constraints of the morality of God as they, they think that's not freedom. But what the freedom of God is, God sets you in a garden of Eden where the blessing is, and there's parameters around that. This, and he tells you, this is where the blessing is. When you step outside of this, death comes. But the world thinks freedom's on the outside of the garden. And so, ultimately, we have a kingdom that can come in any place, any time. And I'm all for being active in government, local government, state government, voting, speaking up at school boards, all that. So don't get, I'm not saying any of that. What I'm saying is you have to hold that loosely. <laughs> you have to hold it loosely. It's good to have loose hands. The only thing you hold on to tight are the promises of God. So self-preservation is not the way forward. If I, and, and the way this manifests in our personal relationships is if I look to get my needs met 
from people, then I'm always going to be disappointed. I'm always going to be discouraged. I have an amazing wife. She has an amazing husband. Now I'm, te I'm teasing. <laughs> but I'm going to let her down. I'm going to let her down. I'm going to disappoint her. I'm going to, I'm, I might even discourage her even if, even if I'm not trying to. So you can't, it's just that the whole and, and the, the identity cannot come from people. It can only be filled by God. The kingdom of God is not eating or drinking, which represents temporal things. The kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy. And I just want y'all to know, I always feel it's my duty as your pastor to, to lead you in a way where you're not surprised. <laughs> and, what I, and I believe that some of the days ahead could have lots of inconvenience. Lots of inconvenience. Lots of dying to self. Maybe comforts taken away. But, that does, but you live outside of those things. It's not eating or drinking. It's righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. You are more than conquerors. So we get discouraged when we seek courage <laughs> from the wrong sources. You had 10 of the 12 spies that Moses sent out. Now these guys, these tw all 12 of these spies were absolute warrior studs. They were like, they were the, the biggest studs in their tribe. Yet 10 out, of the, 10 out of the 12 said, there's giants, we can't take them. Let's go back, let's just live in the desert. And you had Joshua and Caleb were the only ones who didn't look at the giants. They looked at God. <laughs> put a giant, put a nine-foot giant up to the creator of the universe. They get squashed. And that's what I'm talking about. I, I talked about this uh, the week before last when I said, you know, the, the most often recited promise in Scripture is God says, I will be with you. But if God is this big, that doesn't mean that much to you. Right? You got to have a big God for that to mean anything. Joshua and Caleb had a big God. And so when they saw the giants, they're like, let's go. And that's what our body is. We're, we're of that Joshua and Caleb spirit. We can get disappointed. Bear with me on this. We can get disappointed when we seek appointment or appointments from the wrong sources. So the definition of an appointment is having previously made an arrangement to do something. The prefix dis means to deprive of or exclude or expel from. And so sometimes we make these appointments in our head. And so you can substitute the word expectations for appointments. We make up appointments in our head that God has not necessarily agreed to. In other words, we have the wrong expectations. 
And so sometimes at best we give God three different options he can have to answer our, the promise. <laughs> We're like, all right, God, listen, I can see you doing it this way. I can see you doing it that way. I can see you doing it this way. Which one are you going to do? And you feel like you, but we, so we create these expectations that we put on the Lord. The devil tried to tempt Jesus into controlling his father. All right. Now, this happened when the devil took Jesus to a high place and he said, throw yourself off from here and command your angels to lift you up according to scripture. And Jesus said, the scriptures also say, don't put your Lord God to the test. And so what was the devil tempting Jesus with? He was saying, because if, if, if Jesus just throws himself off and asks God to, ca to catch him with angels, he's telling God what to do, right? And Jesus submitted to the Father like you and I have to submit to the Father. And so obviously God is very well able to send angels catch Jesus if he threw him off a cliff, but God is God. And, and so Jesus was laying a, a pattern for us. He's like, listen, he's going to protect us, but you don't put the Lord God to your test. You don't tell him how to protect you. You don't tell him how to do things. You can always rely on God's nature, his goodness, his, his faithfulness, his kindness, his holiness, his righteousness, all those attributes. But you can, it's really hard to predict how he's going to do something. You can always rely on who he is, his nature. But it's hard to rely, it's hard to rely on how he's going to do it because that's, when we call, that's what we call formulas. Right? <laughs> You're like, yeah, God's going to do it this way. You're like, you, just, you just created a formula. And so what does that do? It makes us have to trust the Lord and it, lets him, it, it keeps him as God instead of us. You know, what if your kids are like, make me some eggs. They're like, well, uh, we've only have this certain kind of pot. And they're like, well, I want you to poach me the eggs. It's like, we, we, all we got is a frying pan. You know, you're getting scrambled eggs. And we're like, no, I want poached eggs. We, we can't do that. And, and so you get the point. But God's promises are connected to his nature, who he is. And this is the season, like I said, we're coming into behold the man. This is what Pontius Pilate said of Jesus when he brought him out before the Pharisees and the, and the, and the, the people. And he said, behold the man. And Jesus already had his crown of thorns on at that time. He said, behold the man. And I feel like this is the call for the church right now, for us to get into our, our secret places. Now listen, if, you, if you're working, if you're a mama, and you got 10 minutes, and you give the, uh, of a window, and you got 10 minutes, and you give that to the Lord, it's not, a, it's, obedience is greater than sacrifice. So don't beat yourself up because you didn't spend three hours with the Lord. But you, when you give your heart, it's about where your heart is. And you're like, God, I'll give you this 10 minutes. And, I, you know, you, 
you, you spend however you want. You spend time listening or praying or whatever it is. Obedience is greater than sacrifice. It's not about the amount of time. It's about the posture of your heart and your time. Because trust me, you can waste a lot of time in five hours. You're just like, uh, I got the kids practice after school. Uh, um, where was I? You know, it's, anyways, we're all going to do that. We're all, our minds are all going to wander off. But this is, I, I don't want you coming away from this. It's like, man, Travis told me to spend an hour in God's presence. No. Find the windows that you, ha- that you have and just give it to the Lord. Just set, you're like, hey, I got this time when I, I, I set the kids down for, I've got five minutes. I've got ten minutes. For me, I, ha- I have a little more time before the kids home, come home. So I'm able to, to do that right now. And season, but we've definitely had seasons where we didn't have any time to do that. But Revelation chapter 1 is, this, is the scripture about Jesus, his eyes like fire, feet like burnished bronze. It says, in his right hand, he held, holds seven stars, and out of his mouth comes a sharp two-edged sword, and his face is like the sun shining in its strength. You won't, we won't be able to look at it with our natural eyes. That John said, when I saw him, I fell at his feet like a dead man. What does the Spirit of God do to the flesh? It slays it. So all of John's fleshly strength left him. And that's the place I may not know what I'm asking for, but that's the place, that's what I'm asking God is I want to fall at your feet like a dead man. I want to see you unveiled. You know, when, G, when, when Moses said, show me your glory, Moses could only see God's backside. The new covenant, God tells us, seek my face. And David says, your face I will seek. I believe that God actually wants to appear to us. I believe Jesus, when you're, when you're in your truck or you're in your living room, I believe God, Jesus, I want you, you're going to turn around and Jesus is going to be there. I'm telling you. I believe he wants to give us that because he said, seek my face. Seek my face. The Bible means what it says, and it says what it means. And then Revelation 19, this is the, when Jesus is coming back. He says, I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse. And he who sat on it is called faithful and true. And in righteousness, he judges and wages war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many crowns. And he has a name written on him which no one knows except himself. He is clothed in a robe, dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which are in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, were following him on white horses. And from his mouth comes a sharp sword, so that with it he may strike down the nations. And he will rule them with a rod of iron, and he treads the winepress of the fierce wrath of God, the Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. This is our God. This is Jesus coming back. This is our hope. 
It's, Joel calls it the great and terrible day of the Lord. It's a great day for everybody who knows Jesus, and it's a terrible day for those that don't know him. So our mission is to love the Lord and to get as many into the house as possible before he comes back. But you can't do, you can't evangelize without first falling in love with Jesus. We have, we have to first fall in love with Jesus. And this is, this is what I love about the Lord, is the, the world is in upheaval. The world's on fire in a lot of ways. And what's, what's God telling the church, this is how you're going to change the world? Get in your prayer closet. What kind of strategy is that? It's because he uses the weak things to confound the wise. Your, your prayers, where you, maybe you, you don't have any chill bumps while you're praying this prayer, it's affecting heaven. It's affecting the world. He uses the weak things. When you're like, God, this, this just feels slow. This feels mundane. And I just... Like it's taking some willpower to do this. That's the weak things. The weak things that change the world. Your prayer life that changes the world. When it feels weak, don't give up. Just don't give up. Just keep chopping wood in a lot of ways. And then but what he's doing is, is you chop that wood as he's sharpening your axe. Only God sharpens an axe with wood. But I'm telling you, it's the ancient ways that he's returning us to. How is he going to change the world? Transform families transform marriages he starts with the foundation because you can't build anything with a with a bad foundation and so God's restoring the foundation in the church which is going to affect the nations okay all right let's stand